Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Millwall without fans to the Millwall with fans. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Justin, have you had a good 2021 so far? Considering my team lost and the snow's all melted, it's not been the best start. Oh, well that's sad. Well, hopefully it'll get better after the show today. On the show this week, we have Dan Fudge from the Wednesday Week podcast. Dan, how's your 2021 going? Uh, yeah, Wednesday one. So yeah, not not too shabby. <laughs> it's uh, it's night and day between twenty and twenty twenty and twenty twenty one. So uh, you know, long long may it continue. Long may it continue. Also with us today is Matt Lax from the Rotherham United podcast. Matt, how's your twenty twenty one treating you so far? Uh, well, we haven't lost yet, so that's good. As good as it gets for us. <laughs> Absolutely. Right, so on the show today, we'll go through all the matches from the past weekend in the Championship. We'll have the news. And of course, Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight right at the end. We've only got 10 games this weekend. Well, nine games, actually, I think, in the end, because many got called off because of COVID. And of course, uh, the weather. One of those games was your game, Matt, rather than v Cardiff, because of the snow. But we'd already booked you to come on the show today. So so it was too late for us to get anyone else. So we, we might have a brief <laughs> chat about Rotherham in a sec. Let's start off with Wednesday beating Derby 1-0. Thanks to a header from Callum Patson, giving Neil Thompson two wins out of two as the interim boss following the sacking of Tony Pulis on Monday. Dan, as a Wednesday fan, give us an idea of how that sacking has gone down amongst the Wednesday fraternity in Sheffield. It's, it's really weird when you when you look at it from the outside looking in. So, for example, a lot of the media, specifically the Daily Mirror, I think it was, released an article saying that there, there was mutiny or potential mutiny against the chairman uh, because he sacked Tony Pulis. No, none of us wanted Tony Pulis. You know what I mean? We, we, were, we were mutineering months ago. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's really weird. Like, it, it, it's odd because none of us wanted him. And then when you go, all right, fair enough, we've got Tony Bloody Pulis, let's let's crack on with life. And then ten games later, he um he's 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 been fired and he and you know, presumably had a payoff. That's mental. Do you know what I mean? That's not that's not a, a stable club. That's not stability for, for any club moving forward. But I think um Tony Pulis made a bit of a fool of himself. Um, you know, he's come in, I want to shore up the you know, shore up leaking goals and this is you know i've not been relegated and all this nonsense and then there was a um, an article released in the paper saying that we should be offering barry bannon and um and adam reach new contracts and then there was another one saying oh i'm going to uh, I'm, I'm going to have a, a call with the chairman i'm going to tell him what for i'm going to tell him how disjointed this team is we've got six center backs and 14 right backs and we ain't got nobody for left back and then the following <laughs> the following day uh, yeah, he fired you know what I mean? It was, uh, yeah, you really showed him, TP. Well done, pal. <laughs> <laughs> well, in a two-hour press conference, the Wednesday owner, Chancery, called oh. Pulis unprofessional, saying mm-hmm. he was the worst manager he's ever hired. He also yep. claims Pulis tried to cause a lot of trouble. And I think chancery has been doing that himself enough recently. But either way, despite things like unpaid wages and the awful position Wednesday are in, they've looked much better under Neil Thompson so far, haven't they? Well, kind of yes and kind of no, because, you know, we, we now have a goal threat because we're not hoofing it to uh, Josh Windass running around up front on his own. So there is more of a threat there. However, let, let's not, let's be honest, we robbed Derby blind yesterday. You know what I mean? This wasn't, it wasn't a, a comprehensive 1-0 win and then and then put all man, we absolutely robbed them blind. I mean, think what you want about the penalty, but in terms of possession and short side and, and, and football played, we were still bloody rubbish. You know, <laughs> there was no, you know, it, yeah, I'll take the win, of course, you know, and unfortunately that puts that puts Rotherham in, in, in relegation, but it gets us out and all the rest of it. And, uh, but we were crap. And, and, I, and I don't know, you know, a lot of fans right now, after two wins, are shouting about um, giving Neil Thompson uh, the Christoph Waltz look like the job for... <laughs> You know, get at least give it until the end of the season, and you can see why. You know, but it's only two games, and one nay, two swallows make a summer just yet. So, if it isn't Neil Thompson, who would you want to get in as manager? Well, I, I was constantly always on the Nigel Pearson bandwagon. However, given our position and given the way that we now know the way Chan Siri runs a club, that's just pie in the sky thinking. It's mental. 
So uh, we're going to end up with one of uh, Amadou Paxau's Doyen Sports celebrities, some absolute foreign name with 10,000 syllables that you can't mention, that you've never heard of before, and you never will again. You know, like Joss Lukai. <laughs> Fair point. Uh, well, Paul Cook is the current favourite at the time of recording. Mm-hmm. I'd like to see him in charge. I'd like to see him back in the championship, in all honesty. Uh, Justin, quickly on Derby, disappointing result after thumping Birmingham in midweek. It was, and I think Dan doing a bit, a uh, bit of a disservice to Sheffield Wednesday. I thought they defended really, really well up until, well, from the 35th minute onwards up until like the 80th minute. Derby didn't really have a sniff. They had a couple of chances, but nothing too clear cut. They just couldn't maintain that same tempo they had against Birmingham City and the way they started in the first 20, 25 minutes. They couldn't maintain that, that, um, that tempo, that, that pressure, um, and and it told throughout the game because they couldn't, they couldn't break down. Wednesday, um, it was quite quite simple as that, and that's the reason why last week I said that Derby should still be looking over the shoulder because the the, the quality in the squad just isn't there um, as it is for other sides. Rotherham avoided defeat against Cardiff, meaning they're unbeaten in twenty twenty one. Matt, what a fantastic start to the year! <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that's what we all we want to do is not lose games, and that if you're gonna have a bit of a snowstorm, have a light sprinkle and stone call it off. That's that's how it's going to be, I suppose. I'll take it. <laughs> uh, a mix of COVID and snow has mm. meant that by the time you play your next league game, you'll have gone a whole month where you've played just one championship game. And there was a bit of controversy around the game with Barnsley in midweek. She had plenty of players missing. Tell us about that. Yeah, so we've had five confirmed cases um, and on Barnsley game, I think we had four or five substitutes. And it wasn't necessarily the fact that we've only had, they had the players on the pitch were near enough starting eleven, barring a couple. They'd had two tra- two training days in the space of two weeks, and coming up against a team like Barnsley at the minute, you need that preparation time. Um, the game, for, as far as we're concerned, concern, shouldn't have gone ahead. Um, there was a lot of anger from you. Listen to Paul One's interview. Paul One's not the type of person who sort of comes out and has a go at anybody really, and his interview was quite telling uh, about the FL openly coming out saying we've effectively been threatened by the EFL with a points deduction or a massive fine if we don't get the game going ahead, uh, which is really not like us as a club, and particularly Paul Warren, doesn't do that. Um, we put a really good account of ourselves against Barnsley. They were a really good informed team and we were quite lucky not to get a point, which is from where we were having no training. That was a really, really good position for us. Um, but we were glad that kind of game got called off that helps us because we would have been pretty low on numbers again. We might have managed to get a full bench but that's a might. Uh, and so it's it's good for us not to, not to play these games now because of the COVID, because of uh, a few injuries as well. We've still got five long-term injuries out until the end of the month. So we were, we were really, really struggling at the minute. So thankfully, oh, snow, snow, snow saved us against Cardiff. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you've played only 20 games this season compared mm. to the majority of the sides in the Championship have played 23. Does mm. a part of you worry about how that's going to work out down the line? Because you'll have to play those games again at some point. And it means less rest time, doesn't it? It does, yeah. And we, we put this out on our Twitter feed about how Rotherham fans feel about it. And a lot of people came back as, you know, we, it's it's a struggle now. Second bottom in the league. Could have been bottom if Wickham would have picked something up yesterday. Uh, I see the more positive. Like We're generally, in our history, a second half of the season team. We tend to do that, do well. And if you're playing, I know Saturday Tuesday is difficult, but if you, if you start to pick up a couple of results, you get on the roll. And towards the end of the season, when games are more important, you can get that more momentum a bit better. Um, the games we've had postponed are not, t- not, we're not playing Bournemouth or Norwich, the sort of mid-table teams, Derby's obviously in around us, Middlesbrough are mid-table, Cardiff have been in obviously poor form, we don't know where they're going to end up at the season. So they're not terrible games to have in hand later on in the season when we'll have more players fit. Now, that's, that's my thinking really is we'll have a much better squad, hopefully a few more signers in January. I think we'll be much better set when those games come around. Well, fingers crossed anyway. Fair point. Uh, you've also had your own mini winter break, which is yeah. obviously the main reason England haven't won any World Cups, as we all know. <laughs> uh, Dan, Matt, thanks for now. We'll come back to you both a bit later on when we play Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. But me and Justin are going to take you, listener, on a trip around all the games in the Championship from this weekend. And we'll begin with a game at the very top of the Championship between Swansea and Watford, which finished 2-1 to the Swans. Mike Duffy is from the Watford podcast, Voices of the Vic. Mike, it was a competitive game, wasn't it? I don't know if the scorelines perhaps suggested it was a competitive game, but I think you ask a lot of Watford fans and (laughs) 
they'll sort of say it was similar to the style of play that we were used to under Vladimir Ivic when we were playing away. It was, you know, I know we scored away from home, which is a bit of a rarity for Watford, but we, we just lacked any sort of creativity yesterday. Fair enough, Mike. This was Isco Munoz's second game in charge after beating Norwich in the first game. I know it's still early on, but what are the initial impressions of Isco Munoz so far? Well, after the first game against Norwich, you know, the I was going to say the place was bouncing, but there was no fans in, but you know what I mean. The team unity just looked so much better straight away after the Norwich game, you know. Yeah, everyone was hugging the manager, everyone was hugging each other after the game, and, you know, the, the, the general feel-good factor sort of seemed as if it was back, and look, it's still so early to try and judge what he's trying to do, but... Uh, he wouldn't have thought it after yesterday's performance, but I think it's it's clear that he wants to play on this sort of front foot and attacking wise. We just want to attack, attack, attack because, as I've said in the past, I think personally on paper, and I know football isn't played on paper, but we've probably got one of the best attacking sides uh, in the division. But at the moment, it's just not showing it. You know, the the strikers aren't scoring goals, and that we need a change of the partnership up front because. It's been rubbish, to say the least, and yeah, it's still too early to, to tell what he's trying to do here. Yeah, you mentioned the strikers, Mike. I've seen a lot of frustration directed at Andre Gray and Troy Deeney over the past 24 hours. Tell us about that. Simple answer is, they're not good enough. Like, you, you won't find a bigger Troy Deeney fan than myself. Uh, you know, I, I just... The guy's a god in my eyes. But there comes a stage when you start having to really speak about how he's playing and I'll be the first to admit that he's he's, he's not playing well enough, mate. Um, he's playing with a striker who's derelict of any sort of confidence. You know, the, the, that's not even to mention the two times he broke lockdown protocols as, as your, uh, your account rightly picked up yesterday. He's, he's broke lockdown more times than he scored this season and for a guy with his credentials you look at his CV in this league and he scored a lot of goals for Brentford Burnley that L words down the road he scored a lot of goals in, in the football league so I'm surprised but at the moment mate the two couldn't eat water if they fell out of a boat so it's it's not good enough nowhere near Cheers Mike yeah he's absolutely right isn't he the strikers at Watford aren't performing right now Ismail Asar's been quiet for the past couple of months as well that's Isco Munoz's main issue, isn't it? He needs to address um, with Watford, isn't it? Yeah, well, without a shadow of a doubt, they, they've got such a plethora of talent up front. You've got Troy Deeney, as you said, and Andre Gray, who are championship stalwarts, and they've done absolutely nothing. I think Deeney scored a few penalties. don't think Andre Gray scored this season, has he? He's got one, I think. Yeah, well, that just tells you everything, you know. They're good players, but they're not stepping up, and they have to. They've got to step up with the rest of the team because they're falling down the table. They really are. For Swansea, it was a very solid performance. Could have scored more, really. Uh, for anyone who isn't aware, Ben Foster has a YouTube channel where he vlogs and all that nonsense. And with that, he keeps a GoPro camera in his goal. Jamal Lowe, when he scored Swansea's first, he ran up to that camera and celebrated in front of it. Love to see that. But <laughs> Jamal Lowe is on fire, isn't he? Seven goals in six games. Before this run, he'd only got two all season. And now I'm asking the question, Justin, do Swansea need a striker still when they've got someone <laughs> like Jamal Lowe who is as on fire as he is? Well, I've seen that they've been linked with Michael Obafemi at Southampton today. Um, so they're obviously still in the market for him. But he's a similar type of player to Lowe where he's... He's, he's more of a striker, a bit of a winger. Um, so they're obviously looking for the same blueprint player that, that Jamal Lowe is. Um, but moving on to Lowe, he's, he's been so good. Now, up until November, he'd been relatively quiet. It was a bit of a slow start for him. Showed quality in, 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 in places, but he's really, really excelled, as you say, over the last you know eight or nine games because the amount of goals he's scored and the types of goals he's scored as well have been brilliant. They really have. They really have. And as you say, the types of goals have been exceptional. I'm thinking of the one against Cardiff, which was one yeah. of the goals of the season in my book. Um, but whether they need a striker still, 
it, it would help, wouldn't it? Especially if mm-hmm. someone like Lowe or AU got injured. It would be good to have someone like Oberfemi if they do manage to get him in. Uh, speaking of talented loanies, they've got back Morgan Gibbs-White. He is back in the squad and also came on as a sub in the game yesterday, which is massive news for them and yeah. dangerous news for the rest of the championship. But Because before he got injured, he was one of, if not their best player, going. And now that he Definitely. is back... They're only going to get stronger, aren't they? Swansea, yeah. second. Bournemouth and Brentford, two points behind with a game in hand. Watford are sixth and six points off the automatics. A team not going so well right now is Birmingham. Just one point from their last six games with their latest loss coming against Blackburn on Saturday when they were beaten 2-0. Uh, James Jenkinson is from Birmingham Fan TV. James, they were comprehensively beaten here, weren't they? Yeah, unfortunately, yeah, it's been... It was a comprehensive win for Blackburn, you know, no arguments about the result. Um, and that's been sort of the story of the last five or six games. I don't think anybody could argue with any of the results against us. You know, um, the Middlesbrough game was comprehensive. There was no arguments. Uh, Derby, again, was probably the worst of the games. You know, we were, we were shambolic in that game. Um, and I can't quite put my finger on what what's particularly going wrong. You know, everybody can take a collective blame because I think there's so many contributing factors at the minute that... Um, the, the obviously a, a contributing to our downfall and and really there's there's no there's no easy solution i don't think sacking the manager is particularly the problem or, or he's going to be the answer um but we just can't overhaul the squad either so so where where do you where do you find a fix for this would you say you're in a relegation battle james it's only four points off the bottom three now i think i think that's a hard one i think um you know how we all know how, how difficult the championship is and, and how crazy it is you know if we were to suddenly find any sort of luck or form and, and put two wins together then you know we could find ourselves eight or nine points away from the drop zone and um, you know nobody talks about relegation but we, we still will moan about the results for sure but um, at the minute I would say we have enough quality in the squad and I think there's three teams worse than us in the league to say we, we shouldn't be but obviously this is Birmingham City and we've found ourselves in this position uh, God knows how many times in the last couple of years and um, I just won't rule it out just yet but I think the manager should have enough experience and the squad should have enough quality to, to get us out of this I just wanted to go back to what you were saying about uh, Karanka potentially being sacked, James, because when you go on a run of form like this the manager's always going to be under pressure isn't he? But you don't think he should be sacked Tell us why yeah, of course. He's going to find himself under pressure. I think he finds himself under pressure right now. Uh, you can see it in his interviews. You can see it um, in the body language. But I think you can't keep sacking managers. You know, Birmingham City have got through seven permanent managers and two temporary or caretaker managers in the last five years since Gary Rowett. It's not good enough. Um, the, the team can never build up any any continuity. There's no sort of stability at the club and I think that stems from the top and and obviously the owners we can't trust them and and they bring the stability to the table but if we can try and find stability where we can i.e the manager and keeping a playing squad together you know a core then that's important and I don't think there's many better managers that Birmingham City can get right now uh, than Ice or Karanka and I think that if we can stick with him uh, and, and see if we can turn it around then great Thank you, James. Three goals scored in the last six, 14 conceded in that time. Just in Birmingham, have been awful at both ends of the pitch, really, haven't they? You'd argue they've been pretty bad all season at both ends of the pitch. Defensively looked stable at one point, but I, I think Crank is in trouble. Uh, Holly Dean said after the derby game they need to cut out individ- individual areas. It goes way beyond that. There are a lot of indiv- individual areas that are letting him down, but it goes way beyond that. What has been evident over the last two games, I know it's a tight fixture schedule, um, but what does feel evident is that the team feels old, slow and lacks a lot of energy. In their starting lineups this season, they have the third highest average, away, uh, average age in the whole championship. It's just Wednesday and Wickham who are above them, and they're obviously down there with them. And it's, it's just not good enough. And recruitment over the years has contributed to this. So Crank is not solely to blame. But he's got a, a fairly functional squad. And he's got, to be do, he's got to be getting more out of them. Because as I say, I think he's in trouble. 
four points off the bottom three now. Also had fewer points than they did under Pep Clotet this time last season. Worth mentioning. Uh, Blackburn, though, what a performance. Only one win in seven prior to this. So it's about time, really. One man stole the headlines. Return of the DAC. A superbly taken goal by Bradley Dack in just his second game since returning from a year-long spell on the sidelines. His return could not have come at a better time, really. Blackburn had been out of form and desperately looking for someone else to score the goals instead of Adam Armstrong. Bradley Dack can be that man. We all know what he's capable of. He's the ideal number 10 at this level and could be the key to Blackburn getting in the playoffs this season. I mean, how many other teams at this level have a player having the season that Adam Armstrong's having and also have a reliable secondary source of goals like Blackburn having Bradley Dack. You're talking one or two at most. So all they need to do is sort out the defence and I reckon Blackburn could all of a sudden get right back in that race for the top six because they have fallen out recently, haven't they? But with Bradley Dack, he can get them right on the right track. What do you think? Uh, I completely agree. He's a player who adds a different dimension to Blackburn's attack. They've got players like Armstrong and Brereton who are running behind. Gallagher's are more of a focal point, whereas Dak allows Blackburn to build up the pitch. He's he's very good at getting in between thirds, and when you've got players around you who run off you, he's going to bag, he's going to bag assists as well. Um, and, and an even bigger point for that win yesterday is Mowbray played with square pegs in round holes. I think Barry Douglas was at right back, Bradley Johnson's at centre-half. To get that win yesterday uh, and, and, and for Dak to come in and score as well, such a big, big game for them. Such a big win. Massive win. Harvey Elliott's assist for Adam Armstrong's goal. Just wanted to give a quick mention too, because that was delightful. It was just so brilliantly weighted. And need I remind you, he's only 17. Uh, Coventry picked up their first win in five games by beating Millwall 2-1. But for Gary Rowett's side, it's just one win in 13. And they're only six points above the bottom three. Omar Renane is from That Millwall Podcast. And it wasn't a great performance from your boys, was it, Omar? No, it wasn't a great performance from Millwall at all yesterday. I think we did have a single shot in the first half. We lined up similar formation to what we've been doing before we had our COVID break. And, yeah, I mean, it didn't work yesterday. We had Woods and uh, Sean Williams in the middle and just no legs. Fair play to Coventry. They came with a game plan to counter-attack us, cause us all sort of troubles down the left-hand side. Murray Wallace obviously got sent off towards the end of the game. And it was more of the same. O'Hare just causing absolute trouble. And same with Fankety Dabo. Uh, for us, I mean... The performance just wasn't there. The likes of Bodfast and the Bradshaw up top didn't really have the same effect they had done in the last couple of games against Forest and Bristol City. Jed Wallace was a bit missing for us as well. Obviously, that's a real problem considering what his goal returns are for us. Despite scoring a penalty yesterday, he was kind of non-existent in the game. And yeah, there's big warning signs for us. I think January is going to be a big winner for us. Fingers crossed we can kind of push on and get the players that Rowett wants because if we don't, it's going to be interesting to see if this keeps sinking or if it kind of stables out to at least mid-table. Yeah, just one win in 13 games now, which is an unbelievable run. Is Gary Rara under pressure? Yeah, I think 13, oh, the last 13 has kind of gone unnoticed, so to speak, because, you know, we had like loads of draws. I think we've drawn eight of them. I think we've lost four and only won one. So obviously, it's, yes, yeah, it's, it's not great. Let's, let's put it that way. But I think... Um, it's more so, I wouldn't say he's under pressure, but there is starting to be murmurs from the crowd, you know, well, it's crowd online, so shall I say. I think if we had a full den, I don't think we'd be in this predicament personally, but I think if we was, he'd know he's under pressure at the moment. And I think, um, yeah, I think we're not a sacking club, so it's not going to be something we, you know, we're not kind of shotgun, kind of trying to make a knee-jerk decision, but he needs to pick up the form quickly. I think we've got a cup game next week against Boring Wood. It's banana skin in itself, but you know, if we don't pick up a win there, then more pressure will be built onto him. So, yeah, I think he's got a January window to try and get his signings in. I'm not quite sure what type of players he's going to bring in, to be honest with you. I don't know how much funds we've got to back him with, but I think it needs to be a few players coming in and a few players going out to kind of stop the slump at the minute. So where would you say Millwall have to strengthen? I imagine it's a pretty obvious answer, really, because you're the sixth lowest scorers in the league. So I'm guessing a striker, maybe a couple of other attacking options. We rely heavily on Jed Wallace, like I've already said before, and on previous shows with you guys. You know, there's a real kind of emphasis on giving him the ball and hopefully he does something magic for us. We've got Ken Hall coming back from injury. He came on yesterday, had an impact, I feel like, in the 20-minute spell he had. Whether or not he extends his loan spell from West Brom with his rumoured high salary, I, I don't quite know. It'll be interesting to see if he stays fit. He's in the kind of shot window himself to kind of stay with us at the moment. Um, 
I think we need to just get another option out wide. I think Conor Mahoney has been injured, has been a bit of a disappointment for us. I think, in, especially in midfield as well, there's a lot of criticism for Ryan Woods. Now, Ryan Woods is a player that, for championship people, a lot of people's neutrals love him. And unfortunately for us, he's kind of fallen into a bit of a you know, a scapegoat for us. He's not doing a lot with the ball. He's, he's making a few mistakes. Came back in yesterday and wasn't great at all. Gave away a free kick that led to uh, Coventry's second goal. I think for us, we just need a creative midfielder that can kind of grab the game by the scruff of the neck and try and make a real impact on the game. We've got players up front that I feel can score goals. It's just getting the creativity and creating enough chances. Just on Ryan Woods, Omar, would you say the criticism's fair? And if so, why? Personally, don't scapegoat Ryan Woods on his own. He has been poor, and he is obviously a player that's not really a meal-type player. So a meal-type player is, for example, Ben Thompson in comparison. No nonsense, you know, all industrious, kind of puts a tackle in, runs around, almost like a headless chicken, but at the same time, that's the sort of stuff that wins the fans over, especially when there is crowds there. So that was, he, I think the problem for us is a lot of players have dropped off form recently, like Jake Cooper, Jed Wallace, Marlon Romeo. Um, Murray Wallace at left back was pulling yesterday and I think it makes Woods look worse because Woods is a player that likes to receive the ball play it sideways play it backwards doesn't really make too many penetrating four passes which is something I feel we're missing a lot inside and I personally am not on the scapegoat side of it's all his fault however I don't think he deserves a place on the side at the moment but he is obviously a really good standard player in this league I just don't think he fits the mould for Millwall and that's the problem Cheers Omar one win in 11 at the den now Justin which makes me raise the question, maybe the Den isn't a difficult place to go after all. <laughs> I mean, with fans not there, it's certainly seen, well, been made a lot easier. Um, it's not nice reading for a team that we expected to kick on this season under Gary Rowett. And yeah. for me, the, the football just needs to get back to, to basics. And when I mean basics, the, the, the mistakes that are being made... It's laughable. It, it, it is laughable, and it, they 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 play sometimes like a team that are bottom of the league, ten points adrift. That's how they play like sometimes, and that is a fairly damning um, statement to make, I think. Yeah. Well, Jake Cooper had a nightmare of a first half, <laughs> oh, scored a very funny own goal, and the second goal <laughs> deflected off him, and then he also headed the ball against his own bar. It is a very good player at this level. He just had a complete mare in the first forty-five minutes. Is Gary Vara under pressure? When you have a runner form like they're on at the moment, as I say, one win in 13 and sliding down the table at an alarming rate, you've got to think that he is under pressure, haven't you? I think that the old saying is managers are only six defeats away from a sack. And obviously, Guy Rowe was one win in 13, as you say. You have to say on that basis, he is under pressure. I don't, I think, I don't think they should sack him because they're a team that, they need to build. They need some consistency. And Gary Rowett brings them out of that Neil Harris lump ball phase that they had uh, into something slightly bit more uh, dynamic and modern, I guess, is a way of saying it. I say inverted commas because it's very hard to pinpoint. But he brings them into a different style of football that's a bit more progressive than that, a bit different. Um, and that's the way I think Millwall need to go. And they need to stick by him to get through to that end point. I think maybe because they just missed out on the playoffs last season, the expectations might be maybe a bit too high at the moment because they are still mid-table, aren't they? But because they're not in that playoff race at the moment, maybe the expectations just aren't as realistic as they should be or as measured is probably a better way of saying Mm -hmm. it. But I thought this was a really mature performance from Kov. They didn't let Millwall trouble them too much, really, did they? No, they, they were great. Um, and obviously, they waited six hours for a goal and they scored twice in six minutes. And as you say, both goals were pretty funny. But the player that I want to mention is is Gus Hamer. He's a honey badger. He is. <laughs> he, he dominates space. He's aggressive. He's got he's got five yellows and, and, and one red to showcase that. And he does not give a shit. The, the goal he scored, the goals he scored this season, actually, they're, they're measured punts toward the goal. He knows what he's doing. Um, he's a really good player and I think Coventry, as you say, really mature performance. They pressed really well and you know, I've got to compliment the press because the chances they created came from that. I've never heard a player ever called a honey badger, but it <laughs> feels strangely apt with Gus Hamer. Um, but he, he has been, without a doubt, one of the best signings in the championship this season, hasn't he? Maybe even the best in terms of value for money. He is a creative genius in the middle of the park, makes chances out of nothing. He links up the whole side. You get at least a 7 out of 10 performance from him in 
every game, which is impressive for any side which has been struggling as much of as much as Kov have, um, especially earlier in the season. And he's been playing out of his skin during their rise up the table. He's a truly outstanding talent. Also, putting out there, he's only 23, so he's only going to get better. Two losses in 12 now for the Sky Blues, and they're now up to 16th. There's a bit of breathing space between them and the bottom three all of, all of a sudden. Justin, let's take a break. After that, we'll talk about wins for Bournemouth, Norwich and Middlesbrough. It's a little-known fact that when Justin and I record these shows, nine times out of ten, we're wearing a classic football shirt from years gone by. And where do we get them from? Classicfootballshirts.co.uk In fact, as I record this, I'm wearing my PSG shirt with Thiago Silva on the back. Alternatively, I could have worn my Juventus shirt, Dortmund shirt, Blackburn shirt. I could go on. We're big fans of classic football shirts here because they offer you classic football shirts at a great price. And it's not just shirts either. Oh no, dear listener. There's also training wear, tracksuits, shorts, socks, you name it. And I can guarantee they'll have something for your club. So head on over to classicfootballshirts.co.uk or visit them in store in either London or Manchester. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. Justin, what did you call Gus Harmer just before the uh, advert break? A honey badger. And then in the break just then you called him Harmer Badger. A Hamer Badger. There we go. That's the title for the episode sorted right there. Uh, Trademarked. Trademark. It was a less foggy night at Stoke on Saturday than it was in midweek, although it didn't help the Potters as they lost 1-0 to Bournemouth. Mark Dean is from the Cherries Trust. Mark, what did you make of the game? The game was definitely not one of those you'd be writing about in great detail. But if you're going to win ugly, you've got to win these games. We've got a very, very ugly win. I think we just edged it, to be honest with you. Quite a work, quite a deserved game for us to win. But Stoke definitely had some resilience about them, that's for sure. Yeah, I thought the same. We've seen plenty of times this season Bournemouth turn it on going forwards, but this game showed they can also be defensively solid and grind out wins, can't they? I think Bournemouth have learned to be resilient. I think we could do better at times. But that going forward, that that breaking ball, that's that defensive splitting ball, or that long-range shot is something we've definitely learned how to do very, very well. Uh, everyone keeps saying that you know Bournemouth are the best team in the league. I'm not sure. It's a nice thing to, to hear people say. The problem you get with that title is everyone you go and play, it becomes everyone's FA Cup final, so to speak. And they really turn on the star. I thought Stoke played really well yesterday, if I'm honest. And Mark, I've been saying for weeks that I think Bournemouth will go up this season. What would you say is the main thing holding you back from doing that? I guess I say is the lack of depth um, within the full team, the full squad. We've got some really good lads and some great players that sit on the bench. But they're very, very young, inexperienced but may more than willing to come on and try and stir things up. I think maybe injuries could be a worry for us if we were to get too many. Dan Juma is one of the players that's really, really brought this season alive. Um, but we've missed him the last few games through his injury. But we can't ever try and rely on one player for the season. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, it was a very tight game, wasn't it? The other side having many chances. But as Mark says, Bournemouth showing that they can win ugly. Yeah, and you're going to have to do that to, to beat Stoke. Yeah, You're going to have to beat them <laughs> ugly, uh, 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 as he's put it quite well. I mean, you've got players who can grab goals all over the pitch. You know, it's it's only going to increase your chances. Stanislas, I think he's got seven now for the season. He's been an inspired player, a bit like a new signing because he's I wouldn't say he's been redundant in the Premier League, but dropping out to the Championship, he's shown his quality. Um, and then you've got players like Solanke who also pick up goals. So yeah, it was it was a tight game, but when, as I say, when you've got quality all over the pitch, it only increases your chances of scoring goals. You're absolutely right about Stanislas. He's, when you've got all these big names in the squad like Solanke, Brooks, um, a few others, you kind of forget about players like Junior Stanislas, don't you? And yeah. he's put in more than a helping hand so far this season. Lewis Cook's pass to set him up, I thought was 
delightful. He's someone I'm surprised Premier League clubs weren't desperate to get when Bournemouth did get relegated, but it's only to their benefit, really. They're two points off second now with a game in hand. For Stoke, I don't think there was any disgrace in losing here because they gave Bournemouth a really good game, didn't they? Yeah, they did, and as I said, you, you know, you've got to you've got to win ugly when you come come up against Stoke because they're so organised defensively. Uh, you know, the only the only disappointing thing is that they're just missing Tyrese Campbell. And I, my worry with Fletcher at the start of the season was his injury record. It's they're suffering because of it now. They've only scored five goals in the last ten games, which isn't particularly inspiring. But as I say, they've they've only suffered two defeats in that time, so they are organised, but they just need a little bit more. Yeah, only second goal conceded in six games, so it's clear where they need to add in January, isn't it? Norwich are still top after beating Barnsley 1-0 thanks to a brilliant volley from Emmy Brendia. It was a fairly even game in terms of chances. Norwich managed to break Barnsley press on multiple occasions, which ultimately was their undoing, really. Uh, but Brendia's volley, Justin... <laughs> Let's just appreciate that for a sec. He was hit first time as it comes over his shoulder from a 50-yard pass. It was just superb. It's so difficult to do. Now the question I'm going to ask you is, how much do you sell him for? <laughs> well, I think they've come out and said that they're not going to sell him in January, which is a statement of intent. Um, but surely if you get a 25 30 million pound bid, is he better than James Madison when he was in the championship, actually? That's an interesting debate to have. Well, Madison was a young lad, wasn't he, at the yeah. time? So it's and and well, Brendia played on the is playing on the wing while Madison was mm-hmm. in the middle, and Madison was in a poorer side. So there, there's too many variables up in the yeah. air. Really. Well, that's that's what I mean because that's that's the the value you put on uh, on Brendia. Is he is, does he will he cost as much as Madison? I think he went to twenty five, thirty million, something like that. Will he cost as much as that? It's, it's a question mark. But twenty twenty five million pound bid comes in. You have to entertain it at least. Yeah, well, well, when he's playing as well as he is in the Championship, there's always going to be so much interest and reports around him potentially moving to the Premier League. The thing is, if Norwich sell Emi Brendia, I don't think they're going up. I mean, <laughs> I'm sceptical about whether they'll go up anyway, but if they get rid of the man who is head and shoulders their best player, maybe even the best in the league, then I can't see how they'll stay in the top two throughout the season. He is, at the moment, in time, at this moment in time, simply irreplaceable. He's almost single-handedly at times dragged them to results and he needs to stay if Norwich are going to keep doing that. I don't think the rest of the side is good enough to outpace the likes of Brentford or Bournemouth, who for me are more well-rounded sides. But if Brendia stays, then his magic just makes a world of difference. What do you think? It's confidence as well. When you know you've got a player like that who can unlock unlock teams and pop up and score as well you know if, he, if he's out of the team you automatically sort of the confidence just zaps out of you because you know where's the supply going to come from where are the goals going to come from you know they're, they're, they're the things you start to think about so him being removed from the team you automatically start to lose confidence it's spot on when you are a side like Norwich you can look to him to really create something out of nothing can't you yeah. and even when you are losing you say well we've still got someone like Emmy Brandia who can really pull us through the mud if you don't have that kind of player then maybe the, the confidence will drain a bit from the rest of the Norwich side but let's talk Barnsley because there was no shame in this performance was there I mean the result could have gone either way yeah I think I'll be disappointed um that, that, I mean, that, that says quite a lot, actually, about Barnsley and how far they've come. Because they had moments. Luke Thomas hit the bar. I think it was Schmidt fluffed, fluffed a chance in the last minutes of the game to equalise. But you have to take those moments, and that's the difference in finishing outside or inside the top six. Their efficiency with the ball as well just wasn't there. I think they had a 49% pass accuracy. meant having any control of the game just wasn't there. They couldn't retain the ball, couldn't recycle it. So that was, that was, that was the key difference. It was just the quality in the two teams was, was on show there. Mm. Three points off top six, though. So it's still they're still right up there. Uh, Middlesbrough are seventh, though, after beating Wickham 3-1. The first observation I've got from this game, Justin, is it was bloody cold. And Gareth Ainsworth was still wearing a leather jacket, which, in my experience, as someone who has worn plenty of leather jackets on plenty of occasions, is not very useful in the cold. So... Do you think he's got some other layers on underneath that aren't maybe as cool as a leather jacket? I think the first point I want to make is you can't pull it off like Gareth Ainsworth can. I accept that. Yep. Uh, and the second point I'll make is you might be onto something 
Maybe he's wearing underlayers. Maybe he's a fraud. Maybe. Maybe he's a maybe he's a cold weather fraud. <laughs> Ainsworth fraud. Um, <laughs> it, it might be one of those leather jackets where it's got like sheep's fur underneath. I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll have to investigate. It, I might um, try and in, you know, delve into the Wickham changing rooms and try and catch his leather jacket while it's on a hook or something. Tune in for next week for another pointless investigation into pointless things in the championship by the second tier. Welcome to the second tier, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> but Borough were super, superb here, weren't they? They were dominant throughout the game. Marcus Brown scored on his first league start of the season, which is a massive boost, isn't it? Because he had injury problems when he was just starting to look relatively good coming off the bench at the start of the season, then picked up a bad injury, hasn't played for a while. But now he's coming back into the side. So that's a massive positive. And Marcus Tavernier scored a lovely goal, didn't he, Justin? And I know you're a big fan of his. I I am, and, and this season especially, he's been around for a few seasons. I think he's made his debut in the 2017-2018 season, but he yet he hasn't yet hit a stride. And Neil Warnock's found something in him, and he's given him that. He's been moved centrally as well, which gives him uh, a bit more about his game rather than just wing play. You know, in this game, for example, he completed three dribbles, made five successful tackles, had the most touches in the Brew team, which shows how important he is and his ability to find and get space and get on the ball. You know, and, and as well as that as a well taken goal, more dominating performances like that, and we'll see this lad progress to a very high level because he does look the real deal this season. He's always been someone who's been tipped to have a mm-hmm. big future in the game and he's not really made that step up yet but under Neil Warnock you've got the ideal man hasn't he because he's such a good man manager at this level he struggled to find the right position for him this season because he's played on the left the right down mm-hmm. the middle he's played all over the place um, but you'd hope that this can be the season where he really kicks on or at least make a step towards kicking on and going even better next season uh, for Wickham not much you can really say they were outdone by a very good Middlesbrough side Uchi Ikpiatsu scored a lovely goal his first in a Wickham shirt so that's a positive going forwards they've got in the next three league games QPR Wednesday and Birmingham all teams within seven places of them they are massive games you'd imagine if Wickham want to have any chance of staying up they've got to win at least two of them you have to say. Uh, Huddersfield 1, Reading 2. The return of Lucas Zhao. He's been missing since the start of December. He scored two here, including one, which was an absolute rocket. They've really missed him, haven't they? They've really missed Lucas Zhao. So him being back is a massive, massive boost for Reading. There's potential argument there for him being one of the best strikers, if not the best striker in the league. It's an interesting debate. I'm, I'm willing to have it. He's got a better minutes per goal ratio than Tony and Armstrong, better conversion rate than Tony and Armstrong. And I don't think there's a better forward in the league than him who can turn as quickly and get a shot off uh, as him this season. I tell you what, he's had a much better season than anyone was expecting, hasn't he? I think <laughs> we can all agree on that. I think his best goal-scoring season in the Championship previously was 10 goals, yeah. which is pretty average really but now he's on 12 or 13 I think so he's having a remarkable season by his own standards and his conversion rate at times has been phenomenal whether he's the best in the championship though Justin you're gonna have to convince me a bit more there I'm willing to give you the chance now if you can I just gave you some stats yeah a better better minutes per goal ratio than Tony Armstrong is pretty significant he's missed a lot of games this season for example through injury and a better conversion rate as you pointed out than Tony Armstrong who are the highest goal scorers in the league I think that's a sound argument for him to at least be considered as one of the best strikers in the league because as you say it's his best goal scoring return in the championship since he um, since he came into the championship got to give him some respect I'll give him plenty of respect. He's having a ridiculously good season. The argument that you could put to him, though, is it might just be one season. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> for Huddersfield, Ryan Schofield made an unbelievable save here. And he's, he's made a couple of really good saves now. In the game in midweek, he pulled off 
probably the save of the season for my money. Uh, but he's only coming because of Ben Hamer's injury. So it'd be interesting to see if he does get the nod ahead of him when Hamer is back. The final game of the weekend was at Deepdale, where there was a bit of controversy in the game between Preston and Forest, which the visitors won 1-0. The controversy came from the penalty incident, where there's more than one reason for controversy. <laughs> so first off, there was the penalty, which I thought was fine because... It was handball by Darnell Fisher, who was diving to stop it. But then there is the argument that Grabin pushed him over in the first place. So he wouldn't have gone over to stop it. But I think it was a penalty either way. Do you agree? I I don't think it was a penalty. Okay, go on. Yes, I, I think that because he's falling, his arms are naturally going to come out. So they're technically in a natural position. So I think there's there's argument there for him to... For the, for not the penalty not to be given, um, but I could see why it's been given. I wasn't sure there was contact between him and Graben in the first place, but it, it's a debatable one, to say the very least. The one that's not as debatable, but was still given anyway, was the double kick by Graben mm-hmm. as he took the penalty. He's kicked it onto his standing foot after he slipped over. He looked very guilty after uh, uh, scoring the penalty, but the referee didn't deem anything wrong with it and the goal was given. Yeah, look, I, I watched the referee and the linesman, and the linesman was obviously watching the keeper coming off his line. The referee was watching, making sure there's no players encroaching the box, so no one was watching Graben, so he, he's got away with it. And I'm not saying he didn't cheat, it's just an accident, but he's, they have got away with one there because he did touch it twice. And the amount of times that's happened this season, weirdly, I've never seen it before this often this season. Yeah. So you'd have thought, <laughs> you thought there might be a brief on, make sure there's a third, third pair of eyes on on the penalty taker because as I say there's just been too many of those this season don't know why it's hard to spot in fairness uh, yeah. but Forrest are suddenly unbeaten in five which completely caught me by surprise but I, I think they started to look a bit more like a Chris Hewton side do you agree? you nailed it absolutely and it, they conceded just two in that time as well so defensively they shored themselves up and they're picking up wins I think they still can uh, concede too many chances um, but that is something that will be ironed out by by Chris Hewn. The addition of Lewis, Lewis Graben back into the team has helped, obviously going forward. Um, yeah, they're, they're a team that are that are, that are pushing forward. Sam Basal as well needs to be in that team. They've got a forty four percent win rate with him playing, seven percent when he doesn't. So all those expensive signings they've made, they just need to keep him fit. Enough. Right, it's time for Who Knows Wins, ladies and gentlemen. This is our league where you can win money by correctly predicting the results of championship games. It's really easy to do. Just download the Who Knows Wins app and join our league. Guess the most correct results out of all the games in the championship. The more people involved, the bigger the prize. And there was a big old prize this week. The pot size was £252. And it was won by one lucky bugger. That's Urcon Surge, who won £100 by getting seven correct results out of nine. So well done, Erkan. I got five correct results. So I came sixth, meaning I got a bit of money myself. Just now, I don't know how you did. I can't find you on the list, which is... uh, I got four. Ah, that's that's unfortunate. Just one better. Uh, Oh, well. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, there aren't any games coming up for the next couple of weeks now so we can't do a the predictions here we'll probably do that on next week's episode but in the meantime make sure you down the download the who knows wins app and you can get involved with some other leagues it's a it's a really good app it's a really good idea make sure you get involved and you could win some big prizes right now it's time for this Yes, it's time for the news and we'll start off with the big news. Tony Pulis has been sacked by Wednesday. Neil Thompson is in interim charge. We spoke about this on Thursday's episode. So if you want to hear our thoughts, you can go listen to them there. Alternatively, you've already heard Dan Fudger's thoughts and he's a Wednesday fan himself, which gives you a more authentic view, potentially. (laughs) Uh, Right. There are three bits of news here, Justin, and they're all incredibly depressing. We'll start off with this one. QPR winger Bright says Samuel has revealed he was racially abused on social media after their draw with Norwich on Tuesday. On Instagram, he posted a screenshot of the abuse he had received, describing it as disgusting and painful to receive messages like this. QPR have condemned the abuse, and Mark Warburton says abusers should be named and shamed. 
Bournemouth have condemned racial abuse suffered by junior Stanislas following their win at Stoke. He was subjected to racial slurs and insults about his family on Twitter after scoring the Cherries winning goal. What is up with people at the moment? I don't get it. Why on earth would you ever abuse anyone on social media in the first place? I, I, I've I, never had the urge to do it. So I don't know why no. other people do it. And particularly when it's racist abuse. It just doesn't make any sense to me, Justin. It's just, it's just angry people who take football far too seriously to be able to go to that level to make someone feel or try and make them feel bad with. Hopefully it empowers them to just, I don't know, it, it's such a hard one to explain. And as you say, it's it, for, for the people to, to, to go out and do that doesn't make any sense it's just pathetic and shameful and speaking of pathetic and shameful Swans are investigating after there was booing and jeering outside the Liberty Stadium when the players took the knee before kickoff in their game with Reading it's the second time in a row it's happened now how incredibly sad and stupid do some people have to be imagine making the effort to leave your house and go to the stadium not to get in just to stand outside the stadium to boo a gesture against racism how much of an idiot do you need to be, especially when there's a global pandemic going on? It's just, it's just embarrassing. I just despair. It's, it's incredibly sad, as you said, uh, to leave your house, to leave the the warmth of your house, to go out, stand out in the cold, and boo a sim job symbolic gestures again doesn't make any sense people are people are strange get a grip ridiculous anyway let's move on to less depressing news transfer news etienne capoue has left watford to go to villarreal for an undisclosed fee i'm surprised no premier league clubs fancied a piece of it because i've always thought he's ridiculously underrated watford have signed danish winger philip zinkenagel on a free transfer from Bodo Glimt, the 26-year-old scored 19 goals as the club won the Norwegian First Division last year. From your experience of watching the Norwegian First Division, did you like what you saw with Zinkenagel? Yeah, definitely. He's a, he's a player that's one to watch. Scored a lot of goals, assists a lot of goals. Yeah, good signing. You sound really serious then. <laughs> <laughs> you, you'll, you'll have people think you actually watched the Norwegian <laughs> First Division. Um the Daily Mail, Daily Mail, sorry, saw say West Brom want to sign Duncan Watmore from Middlesbrough. He joined them in November on a short-term contract, but that expires in a couple of weeks. Borough have offered an extension. It'll be a shame to see him leave Middlesbrough after Neil Warnock gave him a chance, didn't it? Stay with Neil. Things will be fine. That's the motto for everything in life. Uh, <laughs> Jack Wilshire is training with Bournemouth. He's been a free agent since his contract at West Ham was terminated in October. There have been no talks over a contract yet, but a deal has not been ruled out. I wouldn't say Bournemouth particularly need him at the moment, to be honest, but if they manage to get him on a fairly cheap deal, he could be a pretty good signing, couldn't he? I'd steer well away from it. Just because of injury problems? Yeah, he's, he's a player who's not been able to shake him off and <sighs> coming into the Championship where you're playing two games a week he's not going to he's not going to manage I don't think I think it, as I say if you can manage to get him on a cheap deal and just have him as a squad player it's one hell of a squad player to have considering people are tipping him to be England captain by this point uh, <laughs> could Rabi Matondo be heading to the championship the highly rated X-Man City winger who's now at Schalke is reportedly interesting a number of clubs in the championship for a loan deal Stoke is one of them who I've seen mentioned Premier League clubs also said to be after him. Um, I, I know you've probably not seen much of Matondo, but he's highly rated, isn't he? And there are plenty of clubs who could use someone like him. I made the mistake of signing him on an FM save and it backfired massively because it was expensive. Um, so on that experience, no, it's a no from me. But personally, in reality, it might be a tidy signing. There we go. If Justin's done it on FM, then... I think that's a reason to stay well away. Uh, and final bit of news, has Steve McLaren had a hair transplant? The Derby... Crack <laughs> on. The Derby technical director has been pictured with a slightly fuller head of hair than before. Justin, I'm quite disappointed about this because he's known for his <laughs> hair island. And now he's decided it might be time to get rid of it. It's his trademark. Well, apart from holding equipment that protects you from the rain but we won't go into that I, i'm disappointed are you 
I am a little bit. I and mean, you know, I said five minutes jokingly about pointless investigations from, from the second tier team. <laughs> you can expect another one coming up. We will find out. We will get to the bottom of this. <laughs> we will get to the bottom, bottom of this. We're the second tier. This, this is what we do. Uh, right, now it's time for the polls. This is the part of the show where we ask you three questions on Twitter that we want to get your thoughts on. The first one is, if Norwich sold Emmy Brendia, would they still get promoted? Yes or no, Justin? I don't think he will. I, oh, sorry, they will. I don't think they would either, but it's 50-50. I think that's the first time that's happened this season where we've had a draw on one of those. Uh, if Rangers were in the championship, where would they finish? Top two, top six, top half or lower than that? I refuse to answer this question on principle. Why? They're a Scottish team. Okay. I just, this is an irrelevant discussion. It's a pointless investigation. Another one by the second tier. <laughs> um, top six got 30%, 36%, so that was the winner. 31% said top half. Only 20% said top two, which is a bit surprised about. 13% said lower than that. And finally, do you like sausage rolls? Yes or no? Justin? I hate them. I absolutely hate them. Why do you hate sausage rolls? They leave this nasty film on the roof of your mouth after you eat them, and they're not. it's not good sausage, is it? It's terrible sausage. I've never had this nasty like film a, on the top of my mouth. Like a nasty layer of like, I don't know, it's just horrible. I, I, I hate them. I'm also a vegetarian as well. The vegan sausage rolls are okay, but... I can't you know. tell the difference between the vegan sausage rolls and the uh, normal sausage rolls. But either way, 88% said yes, 12% said no, which was not as one-sided as I was expecting. I thought it would be about 95% said uh, yes to sausage rolls, but there you go. Right, that's been the polls, and now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson here. So this is Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. Welcome back to the show, Matt Lax from the Rotherham United podcast and Dan Fudge from the Wednesday Week. So I'm going to ask the boys here to name eight of a certain subject and all they've got to do is work together to name all eight. So for example, if I were to say name the eight biggest stadiums in the championship and Justin would say Pride Park, that's one down. And Dan would say Hillsborough, that's another down. But if Matt would say Adams Park, then he'd be out. So what you need to do, gents, is give me all eight answers without all of you being eliminated. So since we've got two proud Northerners on the show, well, at least I assume you're proud Northerners, uh, <laughs> let's make this week's question about celebrating the North. Can you tell me the eight most geographically Northern clubs in the championship? We'll start off with the least Northern of you all, Justin Peach. Brilliant. <clears throat> in the championship, I'm going to go with the easy one. It's Borough. Middlesbrough are indeed the most northern club in the championship this season. Uh, we'll go to Dan next. Can you name me another northern club in the championship, please, Dan? I, I, sorry, that was dead air. That was, that was really bad of me. I'm going to go with Sheffield Wednesday. Sheffield Wednesday, absolutely right. The seventh most northern club in the championship. Matt... Uh, I'm going to go Huddersfield. Huddersfield is correct. They're the fourth most northern. Justin, back to you. I'll go Rotherham. Rotherham is correct. Yes, yeah. that's the sixth most northern club in the championship. Dan, back to you. I got again. I've absolutely gone blank because I, you know, Leeds <laughs> have gone up, Sunderland have gone down, uh, Middlesbrough. We've already had right. Yeah. What, what did you get in geography at GCSE? Must have really badly. Uh, Huddersfield Huddersfield we've already had as well oh shit <laughs> <laughs> well, I nailed it I was like yeah come on whole uh, city on there um, I was trying to think of the um, of the, the, the big away days that we have so I'm going to go the other side of the Pennines at Preston Preston absolutely correct that is the second most northern club in the championship you've got three left Matt back to you Barnsley Barnsley, yes. The final Yorkshire side in there. That's two left in, and there's three of you still going. Justin, help us out. Blackburn. Yeah, Blackburn is correct. So you've got one left, and I thought it might come down to this one because there's a bit of a gap between uh, Wednesday and the next most northern side. So there's still three of you left. One club. Dan, can you name it? 
So a bit of a gap between Sheffield Wednesday, what Wednesday and Rotherham in South Yorkshire. Yep. Lower than that is probably Derby County. I can tell you it's not Derby. So Matt. Oh, it's not. not- <laughs> so Dan is out. <laughs> Matt, it's back to you. Uh, I'll go Forest then. It's not Forest either, meaning Matt's out. <laughs> Justin, <laughs> you um, can't collapse like this, surely. Oh, no. <laughs> um, Stoke. Dan's got his hands up in the air, and he's got every right to have his hands <laughs> up in the air because it is Stoke. They are just wow. slightly more northern than, oh, I think, wow. Derby. So, well done, lads. You finally got it right on Simon Grayson's hateful eight. There was a bit of a collapse at the end but we'll let it go either way well done to you all what a great start to 2021 otherwise that's us for today we dearly hope you've enjoyed the first show of the second tier podcast of 2021 may it be the first of many for the first time in what feels like forever there won't be an episode on thursday because there isn't any midweek games it's also the fa cup next weekend so me and justin will be bringing you a halfway season review next sunday with our teams of the season so far which teams we think will have a better second half of the season which teams won't so yeah keep a look out for that and we look forward to seeing you then until then thanks to our guest today dan fudge from the wednesday week thank you for your time today no problem at all matt lax from the rotherham united podcast thank you for your time today no worries thanks for on. this has been the second tier podcast we'll be back again on sunday i've been ryan dilks i'll be justin beach thank you for listening